Welcome to the Mental Health in Schools podcast, designed and delivered by Anna Bateman. Welcome to episode eight of Halcyon Education podcasts. This is part two of an interview with Millie, a young person with a diagnosis of autism, and she shares the challenges this brings to her mental health and well-being, and where schools could learn from her insights and has some strategies and her openness. First, a quick word from our sponsors. At Jigsaw PSHE, we believe that personal development and strategies to build mental well-being need to be taught and not left to chance. Jigsaw, the mindful approach to PSHE, leads the way in providing children and young people with its acclaimed, well-structured and developmental lesson-a-week learning experience in PSHE from ages 3 to 16. Detailed lesson plans and all the teaching resources needed, along with free updates and ongoing support, make Jigsaw an invaluable, relevant and fresh resource, taking the worry out of PSHE planning. Written by teachers for teachers. A mindfulness philosophy and practice underpins the whole programme. Statutory government requirements for relationships, health and sex education are amply covered. For more information, go to www.jigsawpshe.com or call at Jigsaw HQ. Now to the podcast. So we often say in, in schools, and when I'm working in schools, there's sort of that, you know, when, when there is crisis and when uh, a young person is in crisis and struggling. Yeah. That, you know, they're often waiting for that CAMS appointment. And the school, schools get understandably really frustrated because in yeah. the meantime what, what do they do because you know as far as they're concerned sort of cams is, is the answer it's yeah. going to sort things and yet in in a way in reality the cams appointments at best are 50 minutes a week yeah and for the rest of the many hours we are you, yeah. you're either at home or you're at school what can schools do do you think while you're in that crisis you're in school yeah um while you're in cams you're also going to school. Yeah. So what what can schools do to support you and you know in, in your sort of recovery and, and management? Do you yeah. think? So one thing I just want to correct you on. Sorry. No, um, it's okay. Is that uh, actually my camp sessions were an hour and a half a week, okay. not fifty minutes. Okay. That's not that great. that's particularly important, but I just thought I'd yeah bring that out. Sorry. Yeah. I think schools have a, I think schools have a very challenging job mm. and. I completely feel for them. It mm. must be really difficult. Mm. And I know, actually, I was very blessed that my school kept me in school. Yeah. How, how did they do that? I don't know. Okay, that's really interesting. <laughs> um, was it I, the relationships that you had with your teachers or particular Yeah. Teacher? So I think it was uh, partly because it was such a small school. Yeah. And I had a really close relationship with my tutor and they made sure that safety things were put in place mm-hmm. to make sure that... I was kept safe, yeah. but it was really difficult. Mm. I think the worst things that a school could do is to stop one coming in. Sometimes that might feel like the only option, mm-hmm. but unless they're a danger to other people, mm-hmm. keep them in school. Okay. Why do you think that is? Why is that? Important? School is the only thing of part of routine that you have during mm. the week, and as soon as you get rid of a routine, you're then a lot more at risk because you've got you know if you're if you're stopped going to school for two weeks mm. 
you have two solid weeks of nothing, mm. you, just thinking. Mm. So even if students can't always go to lessons, yeah. have a space where they can go and sit, mm. even if it ends up being the first aid room, yeah. just somewhere they can sit and stop and then go back into lessons when they feel ready. Yeah. Putting things in place to uh, make sure that students can leave if they need to. Yeah. So something big that I found at college that has been really helpful is when I need to leave the classroom, instead of having a an alert card, which I found really embarrassing to mm. use, you sign the word friends just on top of the desk. Um, so you do that. Okay. And teacher would... I'd keep doing it until my teacher spotted it and she'd ask me to go and get something from the photocopier or something like that or go and get something from the office so it was really subtle and nobody else knew what was going on but it meant I could leave for as long as I wanted to calm myself down and it meant that the chance of me going then back into the lesson was a lot higher than using the alert card because I then felt too embarrassed to come back in wow that is such a good tip yeah fantastic system yeah really good Wow, that and, and you can see how that would re- work really well because there yeah. is that stigma or shame, and I know that should or shouldn't be, and you know we can have yeah. that debate. But you know, being able to exit a room, yeah, to get a safe space, and you know, I'm often talking to schools about the importance of that safe space. Yeah, um, it's it is so important when you feel overwhelmed. Yeah, um, and to be able to access it in that way. Yeah, exactly. Was, it's was really it really good. helped you. Yeah, massively. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a much better system. Yeah. I think the other thing is use, that's useful for schools to have is to have, if at all possible, a room for... Uh, I think this is possibly easier for colleges to do, but I think schools should be able to manage it and mm-hmm. should try and organise their funding so they can to have a sensory room. Mm-hmm. Just like a room full of cushions and squishy things and kinetic sand and liquid timers and that sort mm-hmm. of thing that children can go and sit in for, you know, five, ten minutes, calm themselves down and go back to lessons because you're, again, a lot more likely to get somebody back into lessons if they've had a time to get rid of the overload, Mm. Um, particularly autistic students. You're getting rid of that complete overload, calming your brain down, and then you can go back in. And were you able to choose when you go back in or would someone come and go, you know, Millie, are you ready to go back in class or how did that work? No, it's entirely up to me. Again, I think that's easier for colleges to do than it is for schools. Mm. But I personally think it should be the same in schools. Mm. I think you should always go and check on the student. So if the student has gone for longer than five minutes, Mm. make sure somebody goes and checks that they're, you know, safe Safe. and check where they are. If the person looked look distressed or is a higher risk student probably make sure that somebody is with them mm-hmm. rather than just letting them kind of run like run free mm-hmm. but you should always have the opportunity to leave the classroom if you need to yeah. because even knowing that you can keeps you in the lesson yeah, yeah. because you know that you can get out without yeah, if feeling. you wanted to yeah yeah you Whereas have the you, choice. i guess you panic more if you think i can't get out yeah, i feel massively. overwhelmed like the noise or the yeah whatever is sort of simmering is yeah. like well yeah. you feel really stuck and trapped yeah. if you don't whereas having the option actually for me kept me in the lesson a lot more mm. than not having the option at all oh, that's fantastic yeah do you think having because at the point that you were accessing cams and getting the support you still hadn't had an asc diagnosis so you were no. do you think that would have made a difference to the, any of the counseling or therapy yes. sessions massively okay so i ended up having dbt which is dialect behavioural therapy Uh 
which did massively help while I was having it. Yeah. But particularly early signs of things like an eating disorder were never picked up. Okay. Which then meant as soon as I was discharged, I just everything massively escalated again because it meant that although I was having something regular Mm. and that was massively helping Mm. we hadn't got to the root of what was actually happening and what was going on so it never actually solved the problem it just temporarily supported it and the dbt is similar to cbt isn't it but it so it gives you strategies and ways of of managing the anxiety yeah so it's a lot more in depth than cbt and it's designed for people who are classed as high risk so Mm. particularly designed for people with borderline personality disorder Mm -hmm. I mean it's probably appropriate for most people with personality disorders Mm -hmm. the difficulty with it is that it tries to teach you about recognizing recognizing emotions yeah but for somebody with autism I I still find that completely impossible I still have a complete inability to recognize emotions Mm. So you can end up spending four or five sessions just trying to recognise emotions and your counsellor just giving up because they're just like, you're never going to get this. <laughs> you're like, uh-oh. Like, okay, good to know. <laughs> okay. So that's really helpful. So do you think there's anything, again, that schools might have been able to pick up around your ASC? yeah okay yeah so and I know we talked about you going off to to drama so in the first few years and you were sort of isolating yourself and and obviously the anxiety and some mental health difficulties may have alerted people but was there anything else that you think maybe a school could have picked up on sensory overloads so I used to get I really struggled if I was in a busy environment or if there was lots of people sat behind me Mm. if I was in a place where I couldn't escape which all sound like symptoms of anxiety mm. but the the level particularly in reaction to the level of noise or if there was a strong smell mm. was very obvious okay. compared to somebody with anxiety yeah okay so really the the sensory you know for a couple of times I think you've mentioned yeah. you know how important that element has been which was different to what would yes. really determine I say anxiety in general yeah. generalized anxiety that actually the sensory part was a real indicator. Yeah, so I think that's a bit that's easiest to pick up for schools than the other parts because uh, communication, particularly in females, for me it can be really obvious, Mm. but generally I'm quite good at hiding it. Mm -hmm. So females who are autistic have a tendency to do a thing called masking, which means that they copy other people's behaviours to hide it. So I would regularly repeat things I'd heard off TV. So, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Is it American? Which, <laughs> American it was sometimes. <laughs> so, so you suddenly come out with a random American accent? Yeah. No. <laughs> well, sometimes I'd come out with some very random things because I didn't really understand what I was saying. Yeah. But I was saying them because I thought they were appropriate. Okay. Well, one incident got me into a lot of trouble with a friend completely by accident that I really should have been able to think about first. Right. But because I don't have that filter no. or that understanding, yeah. it came out and she didn't react very well to it. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a conversation to have. We say, by the way, I've been diagnosed with ASC. Just so well, you I understand. hadn't been diagnosed at the time. No. Um, so it I bet you feel like you want like to go a... back now, don't yeah. you? And go, by the way, just you know. <laughs> yeah. It did. So I can come across as looking very rude and just completely unintentionally. That's not what I'm trying mm. to be. I also get really stressed if somebody changes their hair or 
like particularly their hairstyle because I won't recognise them I have okay. no ability to recognise like the way that yeah. faces yeah. work okay like the facial expression yeah well just uh, the way people look yeah. I don't recognise people by their face I recognise by clothes and hair mm-hmm. so if a teacher changed their hairstyle if they had long hair and then cut it so they had a fringe and a bob I'd have genuinely no idea who they who they are and think we had a substitute che- teacher Wow. It was really confusing because nobody else thought that. No. And no. I didn't understand how nobody else could possibly think that we didn't have a substitute teacher. And until they started talking, I didn't recognise them. So that was really interesting and something that probably should have been picked up upon by the confusion in my face yeah. when they walked in. Yeah. And the comments they then got about the hair change. <laughs> And that, and again, like you said, that wouldn't have been, you know, picked up as a, a generalised anxiety. Exactly. It? it would be, like, something that yeah. would just be really quite, would appear random, but yeah. for you, clearly it's not random. No, it, not to, to me it was a really big yeah. deal. I was so confused. Like, why, why would you do that? Because <laughs> <laughs> poor teacher just wanted to change her hair, yeah. his hair. <laughs> and, yeah. got, and then got kind of got like, why have you changed your hair? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, and, like, when they changed lesson times at college for me um, and they changed the day, I had a massive rant at my teacher because she changed the time and she changed the lesson and she changed the room. Mm. I didn't understand what was going on and I felt really cross. Mm. Um, And if that had happened at high school, that, again, should have been picked up Mm. as an ASC thing rather than anything else. Yeah. And now a short break to hear from our sponsors. CPOMS is an online system for schools to manage pastoral concerns and events and is now used by over 10,000 schools. The main reason it works so well is that the categories of information a school logs on CPOMS are chosen by the school so that the concerns you face that are unique to your community or individuals can be logged accordingly. It saves a huge amount of time compared to doing things on paper Chronologies for pupils, or school-wide reports, can be generated quickly. The Service Point support team provide an incredible standard of service and one of the main reasons that CPOMs are spread by word of mouth to so many schools. For more information, go to www.cpoms.co.uk where you can also book a demo for your school. Now back to the podcast. You've shared, you know, things that help you now. So you've got your tangle. Yeah. Uh, the school, obviously, are aware and really supportive. Sorry, college. I know um, in work, you, so where yeah. you work with um, young children, they're really supportive. Yeah, they're fantastic. Okay. I'm really lucky. They can be quite challenging and mm-hmm. can completely misunderstand things. Mm. But now they've got more of an understanding of autism. It's... I think it's helped them a lot to understand yeah. why sometimes I can come across as almost rude because mm-hmm. I don't understand rhetorical questions. Mm-hmm. So if somebody asked me if I wanted to do something and I didn't want to do it, I'd just say no. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas apparently that's not what they mean. <laughs> <laughs> you're having to decipher. Yeah. And I guess then you're looking at their face to kind of but then work I, it out or not. Yeah. Well, no. so most people would. Yes. But, <laughs> but I don't. No. So, so it's I just, like, just well, no, I don't want to do it. Exactly. Yeah. So I just had no chance, really. <laughs> so that's brilliant. You've got a really supportive employer, yeah. really supportive, and, you know, obviously sort of been through types of therapy, worked out which ones don't work for you and which yeah. ones do. What 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 helps you maintain your, your 
your mental health now? What helps you to, to maintain it? Because you'd say you're stable, you're yeah, well. Yeah, mostly, yeah. Mm. I think generally I'm quite stable. I still have some unhelpful coping mechanisms, but generally most of mine are really positive now. Yeah. I think the thing that I found most useful is the emotional bank, which is the thing that my uh, autism support worker suggested to me, actually. Mm-hmm. And I think it's genius and mm-hmm. something that anybody should use, particularly if they have mental health problems. Mm-hmm. And it's I'm having, really hoping you're going to share this now. I, I'm about to share it. <laughs> so it's where you have things that uh, improve your emotional bank and things that take away from it. Mm-hmm. So, for example, for me, being in a place that's really noisy mm-hmm. and that's something like a party, mm-hmm. particularly if it's had if it has flashing lights mm. that drains the emotional bank within about 30 seconds if it's got lights whereas if it's just noisy it drains it in more like 15 minutes okay if it's a bad day but then i had things that improve it mm-hmm. so i had things like watching netflix okay. chatting to my friend cat mm-hmm. slash ranting <laughs> uh sleeping is probably yeah. my biggest one so okay. having a nap before and after social events massively helps mm. That kind of thing, and looking at where where is your limit point. So if mm-hmm. I get down to zero, yeah. I'm screwed because I've completely crashed at that point, and mm-hmm. I have no energy to do anything about yeah. it. So as soon as I get to about twenty percent, mm-hmm. I then have to start going. I have to go home now right. if I'm not at home, or going. Okay, I'm overwhelmed. What am I going to do about this? Yeah. So I generally try to not go below about thirty percent. Brilliant. And your family um, sort of help you yeah. as well as, you know, kind of, do they sometimes go, you know, are you a bit overwhelmed? Do they sort of notice or are you really good at sort of regulating it yourself? I think I've learned to be really good at knowing yeah. what's sensible and what's not. Yeah. And they're really good at listening when I say, this isn't sensible anymore. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, yeah. And I will push myself to do things that I think could be risky. Mm. Give me an example. So, so there's an autism group that I go to called mm. Aspie and it's fantastic, but it can be really overwhelming. Mm. But I will always try to go there every week, regardless mm. of how overwhelming I find it. But I will make sure that I don't stay as long as I would like to. And if necessary, I will catch a taxi home rather than the bus right. to make sure that I am keeping myself safe and to make sure that I'm not going below a percentage that's mm. sensible. Yeah. I think we could all learn from that. Yeah. Genuinely, you know. I think anybody could use it. Absolutely. Like you said at the beginning. It's, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's whether you you have a mental, yeah, anybody could learn that. Because, and particularly in schools, I mean, the the, the pressure um, for kids, but but for staff as well, you know, where we actually get to a point where we're so burnt out, we can't help anybody, can't help young people, can't help ourselves. So, sort of almost knowing when you'll get coming to empty stopping yeah. at sort of 20 30 percent and going right i've got to manage this yeah um and, and uh being able to tell yourself what is what what low is it to what percentage mm. so a thing that lowers it for me but doesn't lower it massively is something like going into town with a friend who i really trust mm. so that lowers it but it doesn't lower it too much mm-hmm. so looking at things that lower it that don't yeah, do it too much quickly exactly yeah. yeah if you're already feeling a bit low mm. but also being able to tell your students as a teacher that you use this and suggesting that they use it will massively encourage them to use it because they feel less like they're doing something for somebody that's ill and doing it because it's a sensible thing to do it's just good well-being exactly what a great idea that you actually as a teacher you share that with your classes what i'm doing and, yeah you know, i'd love your help with it so you know if you spot me being a bit overwhelmed or something but 
that vice versa yeah. that actually by the way you guys could use it as well yeah and and teach it in schools yeah. teach it as um just to think that you you really should do mm. and get students to do it every morning in form because from a safeguarding point as well that tells you what drains them mm. so if home is really draining mm. find out why yeah. you know what's going on there yeah. or if going to tennis club is really draining yeah you know why is that so difficult yeah and I guess in a way you would then as a form t- teacher you might pick up on people who are who are sensorily yes. overloaded it would start to give you a bit of an idea yes. then, wouldn't it oh, it gives you a lot more of an indication of what people actually struggle with yeah and if somebody's finding school really overwhelming that will be put down and you can then go oh they find school really difficult mm. you know is it the lessons therefore do they need support in lessons mm. because somebody could be dyslexic and you've just never mm. you've never realized mm. but that's why they're finding school so difficult mm. it, or it, anything dyslexic was just an example but mm. yeah what you shared with me is that is absolutely amazing and i think the strategies that are not just pertinent to people with mental health difficulty they're pertinent to all of us for just maintaining good mental health yeah but I think you know what you've given this great insight into what what it's like for someone who has ASC the links with mental health the the challenges with with both of those and actually what I feel absolutely is wonderful is how you have managed yourself even you know when it's been difficult you have found ways in which you have managed yourself and now are well and, and healthy and, you know, know what works for you and resilient. And I think that's absolutely amazing. And I, I, I feel really privileged that I've been able to talk to you. I genuinely mean that. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, I do. So just before we sort of wrap up, is there anything else that you feel that you haven't had a chance to add that we haven't covered that you think is important? Yeah, so just a couple of things that I think it's worth schools looking into. Yeah. Uh, looking into more detail about the emotional bank, I think, would be really useful. Mm. Also looking at the triangle of autism. Okay. So you can get that on, if you just look up Google Images, it mm. will come up. But that tells you what the main challenges are for autism. Mm. And the National Autistic Society have good details on what autism actually looks like practically yeah so also looking at that and making sure that schools have training yeah get your staff as much training as possible Mm. on autism Mm. even if it's just you know an hour of training on it Mm. you need to look into what autism looks like in females because it's just so misunderstood and so often missed Mm. and the difference that having a diagnosis makes particularly when you're younger is huge i cannot put into words how massive it would have been to have a diagnosis when i was 10 yeah yeah 10 years is a a long time yeah i think the other challenge of schools is that teachers do have training i know you know they'll widely have training on on mental health or autism i think what's also really difficult is the time that staff have whether they're in secondary or primary to actually notice and i know that sounds but I think we're just so busy trying to yeah. teach and learn. And, you know, of course, it's really important. That's the business of schools. Yeah. But somewhere along the line, there needs that time and the opportunity for teachers to notice students, and to stop and ask. Students aren't going to learn if they don't have correct support. Yeah. They, they won't engage and they won't learn anything, yeah. which defeats the point of you teaching any lessons in the first place. Yeah. It's really important to recognise it and it is hard, it's really hard mm. and it does take up time that you probably don't have 
but you just need to work out how to put it in place mm. and how to make sure that you do have the time to do it mm. because it's just it's just so important. It's so important. And I think a lot of schools do have training on autism and mental health. I think a lot of schools don't have training on what it actually looks like in females. So getting up to date mm. training is really important mm. and recognizing particularly what masking is and looking into that because I think females are often missed because of masking. That's really, really interesting. Well, I just want to say um, thank you so much for giving your time. I know the schools will just absolutely value what you've said. It could be potentially life-changing for some young people. Um, So I'm really, really grateful that you've shared that. I just really hope it makes a difference to schools and helps them change the way that they deal with mental health and autism. I I have absolutely, I'm sure it will. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. What an insight we have been given to understanding the challenges of supporting students with mental health difficulties, particularly when they have a diagnosis of autistic spectrum condition. Millie's strategies and ideas for schools are pulled together onto a handout, so go to www.halcyon.education and take a look at the podcast, episodes 7 and 8. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast. For more information and support on this topic, go to the resources section on the website. That's www.halcyon.education forward slash podcasts.